This episode is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, if you don't know what Liquid IV is, we'll buckle up because I'm going to throw you a game changer. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier that not only tastes great, but is a non-GMO electric light drink mix. Powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster and more efficiently than water can just do alone. One stick contains three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks with five essential vitamins. Now, I pride myself on telling you about things that I either already like or just use in my everyday life. And I have to say, I've actually been a fan of Liquid IV for a long, long time now. I use it for everything from, you know, just long runs to stay in shape, all those late nights with those after hours or just when I'm feeling a little dehydrated. I turn to it so it could just, my God, set me straight, make me feel like a million bucks again, and just get me ready for the day. So please head on over to their website. That's liquid-iv.com to check out their amazing line of products. And get this, when you use promo code Art of the Beholder, all one word, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, if you need a little direction on where to start, I recommend Lemon Lime. Guys, you're going to love it, won't be disappointed. So please give it a shot and get more fuel for life's adventures. Now, back to the show. Greetings and salutations, all you beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Art of the Beholder, a show dedicated to all things eclectic in the world of art, where we do deep dives into deep cuts and help you understand why damn things matter. I'm your host, Nova Day, and today we're going to be talking about art in writing, actually. And we're going to do this by framing it with a discussion about the golden age of television, as well as Shakespearean devices. Of course, I am again joined by one of our executive contributors the golden man himself mr t buck welcome t buck time is a flat circle season one is uh, arguably one of my favorite seasons of television in the last decade and yep. uh so we get to talk about that today i'm so excited now it's often stated that we're uh in a actually another golden age of television. What I learned researching this that is that uh, we're not the first. I kind of when people talk about it, you know, it's really into our lexicon right now. I thought, oh, this is the golden age of television for a lot of different reasons, and we'll get into that. But I didn't realize that there has been multiple ones. We're arguably the third golden age of television. I'll talk a little more about that in the introduction uh, history portion of our show here. And I think there's a lot of different reasons why we're in another golden age of television. Uh, some of the obvious, right? So incredible production values, like on par with some of the best movies you can think of. I mean, so think about amazing practical and special effects that we've just never seen before in regular television series and shows. And then that's accompanied by amazing set designs, costume designs, acting. I mean, the, the, the list is fucking endless, right? But I would argue that at the core of all of that, what's really evolved, what we need before any of that, any of that other stuff is the writing. And what's fascinating is that when I examined this, that I found that though there has been a there has been many evolutions to storytelling, right? Modern shows often have very compl complicated plot lines now, interwoven narratives, all of it, but the foundations of it are actually quite simple. And I noticed that we see a lot of that from somebody that's already perfected a lot of these techniques, and that is from the one and only 
William Shakespeare. Bill Shakespeare. Bill, <laughs> Billiam. How about that one? William. That's my favorite version of William is Billiam. Billiam. Billiam Shakespeare. Now, before we, of course, can dive into it with uh, Mr. Buck, it, we need, of course, a little background. So the current era is, like I said, sometimes called the third golden age of television. So the very first one is arguably the 50s. Uh, 50s, 60s. Because that's when it really came around. And uh, and then the next phase, some would argue, is late 80s and 90s. So late 80s and 90s. So they're saying it's kind of merged into both decades there. Well, depending on the, the literature that you read. So when I was doing my homework for this, I learned that uh, sometimes people don't count that one. The 80s, like kind of the historians, they say 80s and 90s. Yeah, we saw a shift in how production values were and all that stuff. But they a lot of people would argue that there's only been two and we're actually in the second one and not the third. But I, yeah. I think part of the in the discussion section, I'm going to call this one the third just because we saw and we'll talk about that a little later. We did see an, even an evolution from the 50s and 60s of what television was. Do you think the 80s and 90s, and sorry why I get stuck on this, but I, I was holding off from our pre-show uh, reading this because I, I was curious about this. Yeah, why people ahead. consider 80s and 90s, I, I would say that's kind of, if we did put a golden area, it, it was more on, on the sit sitcoms spectrum. Yes. And and that is, actually, that's a good, really good point, because most of our discussion today will be more on the drama, drama side of fiction of these of uh, television shows that we watch now or dramedies. Whereas, yeah, I think in the early, especially the 90s, the biggest one that sticks out to me is Friends, right? Was on Seinfeld. for a decade. Seinfeld, Seinfeld Friends. Friends. Yeah, I feel like in the comedy realm, and don't get me wrong. There's Fresh a, Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> yeah, don't get me wrong. There's a, there's amazing cuts from the 2000s on like Parks and Rec, The Office. The, the list is quite vast there, but we didn't see quite such a artistic push into the medium until we got into the heavy dramas and the dramedies. Perfect and stranger. Like that. <laughs> oh, that's a little more 80. Now that's a real deep cut. Jesus Christ. Balky. Balky was like my favorite person on earth for a long time. It's crazy to see him in like real interviews too. Cause yeah. he really did become a character. He really did, and I think it hurt his career overall because everybody was thinking of Balky. Like you'd have that uh, that accent and stuff. Right. Great show. I, I don't <laughs> think it gets as much Perfect Strangers. You should really check it out. I don't think it gets as much uh, um, love, love as it should. Yeah, I'm I'm actually glad you're chiming in, uh, T Buck, through this uh, introduction I was raised portion. By TV that yeah, well, weren't part. we all? Jesus my parents, Christ, my parents were going to college when I was growing up. So yeah, yeah, I, d I definitely the want you to it. chime in uh, through this little introduction piece because there there was uh, there was some stuff we needed to a little hash out. There's there were some discussions for even the intro. So uh, moving back into this current version of the golden age, uh, it's. I think it's pretty obvious why we're seeing so much change so quickly and that uh, we've been living through this age because so the first one is obviously advances in technology, right? We have sure. the we have the the hardware and accompanying software to truly make things like, you know, CG that used to put millions and millions of dollars to making it look real in a movie, they can now make look real in a show, right? And then, of course, the just uh, dist just distribution, right? We're going to talk about this a little later in the discussion section, but Netflix, streaming, you name it, changed the game, 
right? It's given us more content than we could ever fucking imagine. Jesus Christ. And there's no shortage of how to view the shows, right? Phones, tablets, your computer itself. I mean, <laughs> there's quite an endless list there of how we can actually consume the content as well. So, of course, all the people behind it want to make sure that we are always, at, we don't have even a minute to fucking think. And then uh, the third thing I wanted to talk about is just the content creators themselves. So we have things like YouTube, too, where the playing field is finally leveled. So, for example, this fucking show right now, we would have never had this 10, 20 years ago. We would we would not have the capabilities to even give this to you guys because there was quite there was a lot of gatekeepers. Right, Buck? Yeah. And now and now the 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 playing field is very level. Well, for you, you younger chillins, um, you forget that, um, you know, radio was huge up until I would say it's actually still quite big. A lot of people don't realize how how many people still listen to the radio. Well, OK, so it's big from a content like music standpoint, probably still. But from a personality standpoint, um, you don't really hear about DJs anymore. Yeah, that's um, true. And, you know, I, I, I think that that got killed probably in 2004 for the most part when the new if we if we really want to pull back the you know, pull back the curtain, go way back. Pull it back, man. Let me let me see. If it. you remember it's what happened there. during the Super Bowl in 2004, um, there was a little Tell us, ward, I, I don't there remember. There was a wardrobe Tell me and the people. Ah, the famous uh, Janet Justin Jackson, Timberlake and Janet Justin Jackson. Justin Timberlake. Titty bounce right yeah Yeah. okay that's 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 about the most vulgar way i can put it but 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 basically it's (laughs) it's uh basically there was a wardrobe malfunction (laughs) and we saw janet jackson's bare breast in front of a billion you know viewers across the world the fcc really started cracking down not only on television but also on radio um you started seeing a lot of crackdowns this is kind of the reason that howard stern one of the big reasons he kind of uh, migrated over to satellite radio. Satellite radio was coming up at the time, which was a new less kind of frontier. And, um, yeah. A a big show that I've always listened to was Don and Mike, and now it's the Michael Mara show. They they had almost totally changed their format because they were kind of shock jocks. But you, you saw this really happen, and and I think that kind of killed a lot of radio personalities and stuff like that, just because you know there wasn't that freedom. Um, there was a little bit more oversight and. It became more commercialized. You saw a lot of radio stations changing format or technology is another thing. Um, You didn't really need DJs anymore. You don't need DJs. You can just line up your music and just hit play. Um, You don't need somebody physically doing it. So I think that's. That's where it's came about. I don't know where I was going with this. No, no, that's okay. You, I, I think you're going with the you were you're painting the picture of the evolution again. Oh, yes, and yes. and those were. I mean, there's a lot of other things. Probably those are the main things that I wanted just to touch on because we'll probably touch on them a little later in the main discussion section. So the golden age that I want to focus on though is again dramas and dramedies from the late 2000s to of course just the last decade, the 2010s. Now I would say of course, you know, it wasn't, (laughs) these things weren't made in vacuum, obviously, you know, there was still an evolution to it. And so when I was trying to rack my brain and again, uh, definitely chime in here, Buck, uh, when I was trying to rack my brain about what led to something like a Breaking Bad, and that's kind of where I want to start in the discussion section. I would say what, uh, what came before that, that really started to make a model, if you will, in terms of writing for these kind of shows was with, I would say the ones that really stuck out to me was the Sopranos on HBO and the Wire. I totally agree with you. I, I think 
a lot of people even say the start of this era was really with the Sopranos. Um, there's some arguments. Oh, I always I feel like it's The Wire when people are like, The Wire is the greatest show of all time. Well, but I would say the format and the writing structure, and we'll get a little into that in the discussion section. I see more of it with The Sopranos. Yeah, I, I think I think The Sopranos is a good place to start, just because this was you know television. Before this, it was always, and still up until I would say about seven, eight years ago, was always kind of like the less, you know, attractive person kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you wanted to make it really big, you made most of your money, you made the big money of doing film. Obviously, you know, that was a higher prestige in television. Sopranos, what it really brought in was not only the storytelling, but the, the cinematic um, absolutely uh, ability. They shot it like a movie. And yes. it feels when you're watching it, when you're watching, and I just watched The Sopranos again, it really does feel like you're watching a 13-hour movie right. uh, every season. And I and they kind of brought that format in that I think The Wire took later, too, which The Wire, I leave some bounds I love uh, more than The Sopranos. I love The Sopranos, but The Wire, to me, really brought in kind of the grittiness and the, um, that rawness the realism and-, and the rawness. Like, I remember being incredibly bothered when you went to see where wallace lived i believe that was his name was it, it was wallace um it was michael b jordan it's been so long <laughs> I, I michael nothing, b jordan man. but they show where he lives and he's basically taking care of all these kids in a house without water or power and they're basically powering their house through extension cords that are hooked up and to we're seeing different lines. perspectives for once i feel exactly. like there was there was a there was writing technique and a device if you will of just focusing on only a few perspectives, but we wouldn't get yeah. almost the opposite end of the spectrum. But we started seeing that. Uh, we didn't see that so much with The Sopranos, but definitely The Wire. And if, if you, well, I I think you do a little bit with The Sopranos, but I think Shakespearean-wise. With the psych- psychiatric sessions, you see the yeah, other side? Yeah, but if we want to bring it how it links to Shakespeare, I think, you know, yeah, one of back. the things that it does is Tony Soprano, I'll take two characters out of both shows. Tony Soprano. Oh, man. Give it to me. And and D, D'Angelo from The Wire. Both are characters that you're not supposed to like or root for. They're antiheroes. But just like in Macbeth or Othello, you have here, you know, characters that are the same way that you that you're start following. to sympathize yeah. or empathize with them a little and bit. And you kind of, well, in movies and TV shows, you want to root for them. Yeah, it's you want to root thing for them. In Shakespeare, but. Yeah, but, but still, there's some of that elements to it is that the, the main characters are not always the traditional oh yeah um kind of things that you would see and we really see that now talk about pulling it into modern era shows yeah and part of the reason i got on to thinking about this as a show topic and subject is i'm finishing up ozark and it's just yeah. it's i'm 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 uh probably working ahead a little bit but it's just it's an entire show of anti-heroes like there's, oh, yeah. there's almost yeah. no one to sympathize with no you, you uh, but you still want to root yeah. for that you still root for the people yeah. that, you, that you love but but to pull it back yeah, uh, pull it a, back little bit, a little bit is let's talk about the shakespearean devices that we want to focus on so yeah. the biggest ones now we take this for granted because we see this everywhere now but but remember <laughs> in shakespeare's in shakespeare's time this was brand new and yeah. he would use them to amazing effect in all of his plays and uh and and stories and what have you now again you know uh, shakespeare did write comedies but uh, again we're going to focus on the dramas and the dramedies and the yeah. biggest devices he would use is the illusion dramatic uh, this literally is just called dramatic device which is essentially when things follow one another repeatedly something that drives action essentially so if someone's pushed into a situation maybe they're not wanting or expected or they have to do something for someone else think about a gang 
gangster or mobster type show, uh, pretty much all that we have right now, or even the Sopranos, it drives the action of the characters to get to whatever goal, right? That's, yeah. a, dr- that's a dramatic device. And then traditional dramatic irony, the monologue, the soliloquy or soliloquy. Uh, now, uh, if you don't know this, guys, the difference between a, a lot of people get those two confused. They think they're the same thing. So a monologue is done in front of people. Okay, so when you when you when you see a character go on a big speech or something, a monologue is always done in to an audience of other characters. Now, the soliloquy queer quay tomato tomatoes soliloquy is done to themselves it's usually done in their head now in tv we don't usually see that we see we hear the um voiceover that's how they use that effect in television the voiceover which is essentially their inner monologue yeah and then of course symbolism is everywhere what is this one thing you know this thing is whatever object x is in a show and it means more than just what what the thing literally is and then of course just imagery visual imagery painting the picture as writers often say paint us a picture show us don't tell us which i would argue you know write how you want to fucking write (laughs) for all all you writers out there if you want to tell us tell us you know did that to amazing effect is uh the the teams and writers behind um horror classics like night Mm. of the night of the walking or night of the living dead things like that they would tell the audience instead of uh, traditionally show them yeah things like that I, that was uh romero romero i believe yeah romero. the writer behind that so let's go ahead and go into the discussion section i think i want to start i want to start with talking about plot types so we always have a plot a right and that's the overarching plot whatever goal or whatever dilemma the main character has and wants to get to and that creates the arc in the character and i think uh, a perfect place to start this with is arguably what a lot of people would consider the greatest television show ever i think it's oh, there's going to be ones that replace this and it's arguable because every, it's subjective at the end of the day yeah, and everyone's going to have their think favorite. It's the wire. But, but, uh, but yeah, the first one I want to start with is Breaking Bad. Yep. So Breaking Bad changed the game. And this was this was 2008, mind you. It felt like just yesterday that it came out. Well, I think for a lot of people, they didn't really catch on till later. That's true. And that's yeah. why it feels, yeah. And there was me, I was one of those guys that was there from the beginning. No, actually, I, I was not. A year late. I started yeah, I a was year not. Late. You know yeah. who, was, who was actually into it that got me into it was my mom. My mom really? was like, you gotta yeah. check the show out yeah i I actually uh um would uh would attest a lot of my you know artistic love you know we the shows Mm -hmm. (laughs) all of our subjects about how much we love these things right and but why they're important of course it's why damn things matter but uh, i i wouldn't have really gotten that unless my parents my parents my parents had a very artistic stint to their to how they wanted to raise me and it really kind of you know sunk into the core of my personality and so here we are and uh, so yeah mom got me into breaking bad and uh let's talk about uh, plot devices and we can bring in the Shakespearean because it's literally everywhere right we're seeing oh, well, extreme versions of symbolism imagery any, illusions any western storytelling anymore I mean the influence you know you can mainly lead it back you know to an inflection point and the big one was Shakespeare so right especially with you know kind of anglophone storytelling and I think to create a dichotomy about you know again we take for granted this this shows these kind of show structure uh, I think the 90s is a perfect well uh, the 50s too so the uh when you think of shows like I don't think it was the 50s but like shows like the first thing that first example I had in my head was I love Lucy now every single episode was a self-contained story right it was yeah. it was and it had one set and you know you're at their house or whatever and that 
that was the show. That was the entire series were dedicated to having a self-contained story. And I can't remember any of them, of the ones I've seen. Same with the yeah. 90s, like the this big boom of, of the sitcom, as Buck put it. I, the only thing, and we use the example of Friends and Seinfeld, like with Friends, for example, I guess I remember Ross wanting to marry Rachel or there was this love interest and that was it. Like, I don't remember anything else. It was still episodic, but there were some, you know, kind of, you know, drawn out self-contained story stories. But yeah, the main storylines were very thin. Where I would say something like Breaking Bad was so thick and rich. Do you know the first show that really kind of changed the game on that and started doing story arcs and things like that? What? Which like one? Comedy-wise? It was Cheers. Oh, okay. Cheers. All right. Yeah. Cheers that was one of the first that, that started doing that. And actually, the one of the showrunners or creators actually uh, felt kind of bad about doing that. I read in an interview one time where he said, we kind of started that story arc kind of conversation and, and really started writing that into our show. And he goes, I feel felt like then a whole bunch of other shows started taking that and he almost felt like he ruined the sitcom format because of that um a little bit and they have to i, th- I think even thinking about that example there was a love interest and that's how the shows that main Sam and diane that main arc kept you going besides the self-contained stories yeah. from episode to episode is thinking oh when are they gonna get together and you've yeah. seen that you've seen that every time the friends example again the friends took it friends yep. the office the parks and rec like a lot of shows that we we all love have to have almost have to have that because you want oh, yeah. once you fall in love with the characters and you want them to fall in love with each other. Uh, that's where the writing has to make sure that and then it's you know, it's still business at the end of the day. So they have to draw it out and they have to make it entertaining. They and that's why we get seasons of back. it. You know, that's like, why- yeah. Yeah, in I real mean, life, they would get together in a month and be like, "Well, the fu- the show's well, fucking yeah. over now." But but it's 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 the draw you in. It's it's almost they took a cue almost out of uh, soap operas a little bit, trying to you know not from necessarily the corny drama, but like really <laughs> the cliffhanger part. Like you, you yeah, you oh, have yeah. to see tomorrow's episode. The you know the know what happens. Exactly. Uh, but these drawn out story arcs, I think really, I think you could start seeing the seeds of it in the eighties, starting to drop. Um, you start seeing bigger names starting to join television around that time but yeah i think there there was definitely a sea change hbo was the main oh, yeah. driver of that originally i mean even with even stuff killed, in the early they, 90s the larry sanders show, they still kill it yeah and they still kill it i mean uh sunday nights they they turned it into appointment television mainly around Don't the, miss the sopranos shit. again the sopranos um, i think what uh, i couldn't think of a better example of really starting it and also creating yeah. that model of how are we going to write shows to not only be engaging drama fascinating entertaining but also tie them in from season to season but then also and this is where i want to start talking about b plots yeah so tell the good people what's a what's the difference between an a a plot and a b plot your a plot is basically your main storyline uh your overarching storyline your b plots are usually side plots or offshoots side characters but still are interwoven into the main arc of the plot a yeah a great one in the sopranos is adriana her little uh side arc of you know, her... i didn't know you're such a big sopranos fan actually. oh yeah now that I, we I, I like the gabagool <laughs> <laughs> I eat I gabagool love, from there. I love gangster films. Yeah. Um, and Goodfellas is probably my favorite of all time. Uh, close second is Casino. But we just never saw something like that in TV. And well, it was a long format. And going pulling it back to the writing is yeah. this is the only medium where you can really do it this way and understand it. 
Now, if you were to take yeah. so many B plots and other things in like a novel and stuff, it's it's a little easy. It's easier to get lost. It's, it can be done. Obviously, it's it's done. Yeah. It's done in a very specific way, usually through first person. But to really connect with the audience and keep it entertaining and fresh and easy to follow, this is the perfect medium for for multiple plot interwoven lines. Yeah, it's the long format. Long form long format. format, right? Yeah, it's in. And there's pr- great examples, and I don't know if I'm jumping too far ahead, but um, I'm I'm getting to the point where I prefer television over uh, film, right? right? And I think that that's probably yeah. We are jumping a little ahead. That's what I want to talk about in the conclusion section is because I got I got an example. Okay, so so let's pull it back before we go into obviously those levels and say, uh, so yeah, with breaking something like Breaking Bad, I remember a ton of plot lines because they were just so rich and vivid. And obviously the biggest one is he needed to make money and money quick because he was dying. He's dying and he wanted to take care of his family. Exactly. That was plot A. But then plot B is how do I get how do I get there? I need to cook meth. Plot B's and C's and so on's is I need to. Uh, what was his name? Pinkman. I needed to Jesse Pinkman befriend care. Yeah, I need to. <laughs> nice. I need to befriend uh, shadowy figures and these more antiheroes to get to to that. <laughs> and then you know you know here here's a fun fact. I don't know if you knew this, Buck, but uh, Jesse Pinkman was not supposed to be as strong of a character in the show as. As we've seen him become, he was actually supposed to be written out or killed off in the first season. But they liked, and this is how, this is what I love about art is they were so impressed by his performance and what he did with the character, they kept his character alive. And obviously, through the, they even made a movie at the, you know, the kind of the coda movie on Netflix. I actually loved it. Uh, and, yeah, oh, that, I thought it was great. Uh, it was, it was, it was just what we needed. It was know? like a Western again. And it wasn't, it wasn't too. F- People, I was worried it would be a little fan servicey. It wasn't. It was just a conclusion to a story arc that they felt needed to be wrapped up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very much like a western. Uh, the end of it, spoiler alert, was a shootout, uh, a little uh, <laughs> gunfight standoff, which was brilliant and how it how it did it. But yeah, I mean, and that, that's the beauty of television too. Um, you can't do this in film because film it can't do it in film exactly. It, it, and and I'm gonna kind of go back to some of you. Um, maybe software nerds or not software Ooh, nerds. I'm give sorry. Give it to me. I work in software. Um, Tangent I, corner. I, well, no, but, but yeah, but there's, there's something called waterfall development and agile development, waterfall development. You really have to pre-plan everything because, and do everything beforehand uh, before you start development. Cause it's so expensive and there's a lot of risk. Whereas agile development, it's uh kind of win fast, lose fast kind of ideas where you can kind of spin off ideas. And if it doesn't work, you just move on to the next one. I think with television, you have a lot more freedom sort of like that. But that's that's a good case, uh, example as uh, Jesse Pinkman's character. The biggest, to p- bring it back to the simplicity of, of the core values of what these shows represent in terms of Shakespearean devices is for this example, um, you know, the Breaking Bad example, and for a lot of others, they use the dramatic device the most. They keep either putting barriers in front of them. And again, this is the Aaron Sorkin, you know, school of writing. How do you create drama? You you create a character that wants that wants to acquire something, complete something, some sort of goal, and you put a lot of barriers in front of them. And there's a lot of things that push them to 
get either to that barrier and 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 then equally past it until they get to their yeah. goal. I feel like I realized looking at the time here, we could probably do the whole fucking episode on just Breaking Bad. So let's move on a little bit. You guys get the point. At this about the same time, I was I don't think you were ever into the show, but I saw a lot of rich writing and character development stuff through True Blood. Uh, another HBO show. Yeah. Are we seeing a trend, guys? <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I was not into the uh this is fantasy drama and dramedies. Uh well it was it was the R-rated version of what a lot of us wanted which was uh this was this is when Twilight was popular for the the teens and the tweens Let's take and for us adults yeah. yeah for for us it adults, was all about pirates and vampires. You know we like fucking we like vampires too. I like a good vampire story. I like a good werewolf story. But give me, give me the R-rated version, and that's what True Blood was. Yeah, and and yes, to to amazing effect. And the plot lines again; these were based on books, a book series, the Sookie Stackhouse. I got to say it with an accent, Sookie Stackhouse stories, and um and yeah, and and we're we're gonna see that trend a lot more as. The, the source material, of course, are with these incredibly rich writers and stuff like that. Screenplay writers. Now, this is a different beast. The novel versus play versus whatever. Let's let's say even just yeah, traditional play versus the screenplay is completely different beasts because yeah. then we're we're telling the director uh, we need to write in the visual content. And then give the director the ability to then sh- they get to pick obviously how they want to. Uh, express that visual identity to the viewer right through the writing and then moving on from that i know i know buck yeah he says he's he's not as in love with the the vampire stories as some of us um i was i was into the walking dead at the same time and i saw some incredibly rich writing and storytelling in the beginning in the the beginning the first yeah the the first few seasons you know and then i could see how popular it was getting and then i i just picture like a bunch of like suits in an office being like we need to keep stretching 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 that's exactly what happened ad revenue yeah that's exactly what happened then. and then the stories got boring they fired the showrunner frank darabont as you know this guy's legend, done everything you know shawshank Red- redemption was really the showrunner for that they got rid of it they ended up amc bought the um the right the show itself the rights and basically milked that baby and they're still milking it as yeah much like as they, they needed can. to end it and i have no idea how five or six seasons ago like i i probably stopped watching it I want to say season six ish, something like that. Oh, I, I bailed at season three. I, I started <laughs> calling really it the, the Writing Dead at that the point. The Writing Dead, yeah. I you think that you remember joke, me another episode. <laughs> yeah. And it was. I mean, because once, look, once something like, you know, again, this is, there is an art to writing. And once something like the, the art of business is the more important element here it's it's going to create a negative impact on the storytelling yeah. because again the yeah like i i was joking about what and you said is totally true it's 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 spot on that we had to stretch episodes out because we need more episodes more seasons so we can get more ad revenue they wanted more commercial time and that even affected breaking bad to an extent i know that um well they had this Vince is Gilligan wanted to stop it after four wasn't it of, just five where they split it in half, right? Five, they split it in half, and that was not his decision, I believe. Um, well, I, at I the end of the day, it's a team effort. Four, you yeah, know? but, you know, I you think... You need that pull. You need a little bit of that pull. You need a little bit of the suits in the room. <sighs> my, This is my philosophy. Is if artists are only surrounded by yes people, then some of the work can go too far, 
And I always feel like you have to have balance with these things. But what I like about what he did versus other people did is they had an outline. They had they knew how it was going to begin the middle for the most part and how it was going to end that. Those are my favorite kind of stories when they know they have the entire thing kind of outlined, not let's figure it out as we go, which is a lot of television shows. You have to you have to have that. And I think a lot of these shows are and some of them still don't do the greatest job of it, even though they're really good. Well, it's and we can talk about that. You have it's hard. Yeah. I I have examples I can start throwing out here. No, um, that were fantastic shows or like, okay, Battlestar Galactica. Or Dexter. I think think I was like a perfect show, and then they just didn't know how to end it. Well, I I remember when I watched it, I told you the first season was one of the best. first season was the best seasons ever. I've never seen TV like that. And then it went on its own little grand. uh, Well, there's a reason for that. There's a reason why television shows are hard to end for writers. Because they don't know when it's going to end. So instead of having a plot... Instead of having the, the success like Breaking Bad did, a lot of these shows don't get success till season two or three, and then they don't know if they're going to get canceled then at, at yeah. a four or five, or they still have enough uh, storytelling. Uh, and this is, we're, we're jumping ahead, but when we get to Game of Thrones, it's a perfect example. They ended too early. There was there was too much to wrap up in one season. Too much to wrap up in, in two seasons, basically. They really needed four. Well, yeah, they needed two or three more to really give it a a, a good conclusion. Well, and then we can go. Let's go ahead and, and dive into Game of Thrones. Okay, yeah, let's time. dive into yeah. it because because I because this is when people started saying you're, this you're is the golden age of right television. Now. Remember, getting, this is this is the fucking time. I think we're still going through it, but people yeah, are like, we're in the I think golden it's age of television down a little bit. To be it's honest like, with you, well, mm, let's. Hold I think that there's for the almost conclusion. too much content. Oh, oh, well, fuck, fuck, yes, I, I, I yeah, agree with that. I think but it's getting watered not necessarily, down. Necessarily, well, it's like music. We gotta dig, right? You gotta dig for the good. You stuff. gotta dig. You gotta <laughs> dig, and you gotta find that that, that gold yeah. nugget right there. Yep. And you gotta tell all your friends about it. So let's talk about Game of Thrones. I remember now. This is uh, let's and let's pull it back to more Shakespearean devices. This is they they used a lot of the same devices. But they did something that I'd never seen before, and that is, what's the famous saying? Don't fall in love with the character. Oh, yeah. It's, it's yeah. a bad omen. If you like a character much, if you like a character too much, or you love them, what's going to happen? Yeah, don't don't become attached to them. They're dead. They're, They're going to die soon, and, and in a horrible way. And that's that's credit to George R. R. Martin's yes, storytelling. The, the, yes, he is an excellent, excellent storyteller, and a lot of the source material is from his books. And part of the other problem in creating the arcs for these characters... So this is a ton of characters, right? And famously, he said he designed this so it couldn't be adapted. What, what a what a what a uh, what a jinx, right? What yeah, but he jinx. he got a lot of his chops though. He did a lot of beforehand. He did a lot of writing for television. Oh yeah, he's been in the game for a long time. Yeah, he just famously has called himself a slow writer, and that's why yeah. we didn't get to see the end of the story before the actual showrunners got to the end of the story. And then this is a perfect example of of the richness of the writing at the core. If it's not there, so. So for all the fucking dragons and the amazing set design and all of the production values, what happened with season eight? It was awful. Well, and the, why? I would say the last the writing wasn't seasons. there. Well, and 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 there was one factor why that that was. He wasn't done with the books. Well, he wasn't done with the books, but he let he was on the writing staff. They they had George R. R. Martin on the writing staff, and he left after season six to quote unquote. I gotta finish my books. Um, <laughs> that was a good impression. 
That's pretty good. Thank you. Big floppy <laughs> penises, as they said in South Park. Um, <laughs> you ever seen the South Park uh, George R. R. Martin stuff? I don't know why. It, I have. I, it I just don't remember. A year old. Yeah. Oh I'm God. I, I still watch. I on, full disclosure. I still watch South Park to this day. I still, oh yeah, me too. I, I, I talk I about good. Fantastic. You know, as much as it's like you know, sophomoric, you know, college, you know, toilet humor, like butt humor. It's the the actual writing behind how they piece together the acts and stuff in the show is actually really good yeah it's it's actually commentary on pop culture yeah if you strip away all of the silliness and the the dick and butt jokes what you have is actually pretty good storytelling so yeah yeah it's it's actually a brilliant show and people who just despise it always roll their eyes when i say that and i'm like you really if you strip away about it yeah you got a commentary um of the show is, is, is spot on spot and comedy's on. hard i will say this yeah. as much as drama makes me think about my own mortality you know the human condition existentialism yeah. like the stuff we've talked about in other episodes it's uh, that's of course and very important i think it's actually harder to write comedies that don't make you feel that way obviously they make you just feel happy and entertained uh but i think it is harder to write a comedy than a drama oh yeah saying. And I think that's why a lot of comedic actors, when they go to dramatic roles, it's so amazing. I think, one, it's because you don't realize, yeah, you're seeing them in a different role and you're like, oh, wow, they're actually a really good actor. But at the same time, comedy is so hard to act. You don't Mm -hmm. realize that these people are actually just really good actors. They're not like, it's not slapstick where they're, you know, obviously there's slapstick humor, but they're not just falling down and, and doing fart jokes and stuff like that. A lot of... Uh, <laughs> South Park they are, though. <laughs> well, like, look, uh, uh, Steve Carell. Guy is amazing. I think the king of examples is Robin Williams. Oh, Robin Williams by far. But I, I'm saying a modern example, Steve Carell. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you watched him in Foxcatcher, holy shit. And you're like, he's scared. a different guy. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and it's harder. I, I don't know if you actually made this point, but you kind of alluded to it. It's harder to go the other way. It's harder to do drama to comedy like seeing like robert de niro (laughs) well seeing like robert de niro and like meet the parents i I feel like luckily there was good writing but yeah he just wasn't very funny i mean the things he would say were funny because it was good writing it was so like literally anybody could be in that role right yeah but and then he's you know he's arguably the one of the greatest dramatic actors ever right of all time but when you put him into a comedy role it doesn't always quite land. Yeah, I mean that was a weird era for him. He was doing analyzing. Talk those. about writing. Gosh, that's so important. Yeah, but that's the big. That's a big thing. You have to have good writing. You, even if you have the best actors in the world, or you know, you if if you don't have good writing, if you don't have that foundation, you're not going to have anything. Yeah, let's pull it back to Game of Thrones though, because oh my god, the illusion again, the illusion, dramatic devices, dramatic irony, the mo- monologues, soliloquies, symbolism, imagery are everywhere and then you throw in the spice of you know we never used to see the main character being killed right i truly and i was one of those people i was the the rug was pulled out from under me is poor sean bean yeah sean bon you mean sean bon (laughs) or sheen bean cn bean (laughs) sean bon yeah i really thought he would be a part of all of the seasons and when they killed his character at the end spoiler alert don't care is um i was like i I really had my mouth open i was like wait i thought it was i thought it was a dream sequence at first my first reaction was oh this wasn't real this was like in his head like there was a carpe or not (laughs) carpe diem uh deuce x deuce deus ex ex machina machina. moment yeah 
do sex machina. There we go. Moment. And there never won. There, there never came. Right. Um, now that's, uh, unless you read we the should book, probably explain you kind of what, what was coming. But now do sex machina is not Shakespearean. We should no, probably explain no. what that is. So that is, I feel like a, those were Greek Roman era kind of, kind of devices. Well, that's a lot. Yeah. Latin. So what that is, is it's, and it's usually in storytelling where someone is saved at the very last minute and, in very old stories, it was, uh, usually it would be like an angel. It'd be like a supernatural element but we see that all the time now right we see duke's ex machina all the time all the time all the time <laughs> you got to get that we character see that we see MacGuffins. we see uh um, oh gosh like the mcu writing we have to have MacGuffins with every we got to get the thing got to get well, that, the thing that, that, the that's thing. just that's just comic book writing fantasy writing and one-on-one and again not bad movie. there's a lot of great writing in the, in some of those those stan lee epics I'm going to point out something. Not, um, I, I just finished Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and I'm not going to spoil it. I'm going to say it's one of my favorite Marvel stories, and it's oh, wow. because of television. And maybe people hate it. I don't know. I haven't looked at any reviews on it. But the way that they were able to expand on their characters and the way they did, it made me actually like it more. Like One of my favorite episodes was like probably the most quote boring episode Mm -hmm. where there wasn't really any action but you got like kind of the backstories of both of the characters the falcon and winter soldier and kind of the um, turmoil they were personally going through and i thought it was fantastic and and that's why i think this you know for bringing back to some of these shakespearean elements and devices and how it's really just thriving on television again is that long format is the long form right yeah and i I will say this about mcu and stuff like that i think you know I wish we could be I wish the critics that actually give the awards away, the 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 Academy Awards and all that shit could be more objective, because as much as yes, these are about superheroes with superpowers and that's supposed to be for fucking kids. A lot of the storytelling is quite rich and it's 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 really well made. And they have a (laughs) and Marvel can can kind of cheat a little bit because they have, you know, they have this rich treasure trove of backstories that they can just reach into i mean oh my god it's they have you know 60 70 years of comics now or for 50 60 years i guess for marvel that they can just go back and kind of pick up stories and expand on them so sure yeah i think they can get away with a little bit of it but the way that um you know you were talking about the suits um earlier if you have the right suits in place it can do wonders and Absolutely. I think Kevin Feige, if you hate Marvel He's knocking movies, it out of the park, <laughs> yeah. you can't deny that that guy, what he did was amazing. I mean, yeah, the sheer vision of of having all of these characters have their own movies and then culminating into these epic Avenger type stories is and then thinking about how complicated it really is just to, we've talked about this in other shows, how hard it is just to make one movie work is incredible. I don't want to go too deep down this road because there's a, a little more I want to talk about before we get into the conclusion section of bring it all together. I want to talk about things that got a little darker and got a little more sophisticated, interesting with their plot devices, lines and structure. And that is with Westworld and uh, the German show on Netflix, Dark. And again, we're seeing dark. Dark is excellent. I've actually I don't through my Novo Day handle. I don't tweet very much unless I'm promoting stuff because I honestly I'm a workaholic and there's always stuff behind the scenes I'm still working on. But sometimes I'll I'll, you know, (laughs) I know Twitter's supposed to be for musings and all that fucking shit. But um, as much as I don't do it every once in a while, I do it. And I would I talked about Dark's 
incredible uh, writing. It, okay, it's, I'll have it, to check it out. Yeah, it, it really took, uh, it really raised the bar. I mean, it's still, again, at its core is a lot of these Shakespearean devices we keep talking about. Uh, same with Westworld. But now we're seeing, um, we're seeing, I think, you know, they have to, these writers have to get real creative on, on surprising us. And yeah. Westworld did that with timelines, right? We thought, yeah. uh, we thought we were, in one timeline, and we usually are in three different timelines. Uh, and Dark does this with, you know what? I'm not going to even try to. <laughs> there's so much. We could do a to, whole episode on Dark. I don't want you to Dark. spoil it for me because I can't. Now I'm intrigued. It's there's so actually good. a lot of good shows coming out of Jokingly Germany right now. Good. Yes. Um, Babylon Berlin is another one I've heard to check out, um, which I guess takes uh, Weimar Republic kind of era 20s Berlin. And well, Dark has to do with timelines too. Uh, and time travel, unlike Westworld, and uh, yeah, this, and this goes with my gem of the week. Okay, okay, we're we're seeing a lot of the dramatic device used. I think the biggest one. At, I didn't really think of which Shakespearean device is used the most with these shows, and I realize now that we're talking about it, and this is kind of the beauty of the discussion section that we do on these shows is kind of came to me the dramatic device. So things falling one another repeatedly, or things that drive action are endless you're right yeah. we have to get to the fucking goal line how do we do that and uh westworld and dark do that to incredible effect uh, i think most people i don't think westworld is is a deep cut anymore everyone knows westworld very popular show but obviously dark is if t-buck usually t-buck is my is my is my baseline t-buck doesn't know a show then i bet a lot of people don't know it well and Part of it is my life in the past year has been a little crazy, so I'm not as up to date on things as I usually am. But I feel like I'm usually a little bit on, you know, not I'm not trying to. This is not a flex, but I'm trying. I usually, it's kind a of flex. Pick up on, it's a flex a little bit. It's a flex, but you know, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm I'm now intrigued. I want to go. Watch yeah. It. Oh fuck, that's not even a gem of the week. Just do it. Do yourself a fucking storytelling entertainment favor and jesus uh moving on though is uh, yeah i get to spend the whole episode talking about dark uh moving on though is um something that is uh, kind of a a hybrid if you will of uh the drama and comedy the dramedy and that is six hbo's again succession uh they just keep knocking it out of the park i keep people keep telling me to watch that and i just have not sat down and I, I'm now this is uh, this is more traditional. Now where the drama lies more traditional. So we don't have we don't have fucking dragons. We don't have people cooking math. We don't have zombies. We just have well, people then I'm in out. a room. I'm out. <laughs> we just have people in a room that got to get shit done. It's it's it surrounds the world of business. It's essentially the main guy. I I'm pretty sure is supposed to be. Uh, based off of the people behind Fox News and stuff like that. Oh, you're the talking Murdochs. about the, uh, there Murdochs. We go. the Murdochs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be kind of based on them, but they bring so much comedy into that Fantastic drama. Fantastic human beings. They're, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, well, the humor is incredible because a lot of it, it stems around what uh, a lot of comedies have kind of turned into, and that is the let's shit on all of our friends and family kind of humor. So they like they tease each other and they pick on each other and they do it. <laughs> they do it to incredible effect. So please check that out. I think the next two uh, and definitely we'll get in with Ozark. The next two, I think, are master classes in storytelling and they use a lot of these devices. That's the limited series Chernobyl again on fucking Fantastic. HBO. 
fantastic. I actually think I, I'm gonna I'm gonna mark this one down as the greatest limited series I think I've seen in the last decade. I just Chernobyl. Which I one? Which what's yours better. then? Go shoot. TikTok. TikTok. The uh, Watchmen. Watchmen. And now I I would disagree. I I. I I respectfully I disagree it. with you. I loved it. Uh, so uh, why, yes, I didn't actually put that on the list, but I'm glad you brought it up because that is another masterclass and and um, and storytelling and, and screenplay writing. Because this is the same team that did Lost and stuff like that, but that was still a little that was old, a little, and uh, and they didn't uh, they didn't really stick the landing like Dexter yeah. and a lot and Game and of a Thrones, lot don't, and a lot of other a lot shows don't. But yeah, a lot of these don't. Again, uh, and we can go ahead and start talking about this is because. And we, we already did touch on it. They don't know when it's going to end. They don't know how to end it sometimes. And yeah. so because you're dealing with so many people, you're dealing with actors, you're dealing with production teams, you're dealing with directors. And a lot of people don't want to really hang on to the property anymore. They're really ready to wrap it up. And if you didn't know that you had to wrap up the entire like, let's say let's say there were seven storylines. I think like Game of Thrones is a good example of that. And you have to wrap all that up in one season. It's not going to work. No, and but that's that's the thing. I'm I'm a big fan of limited series right now. Specifically, oh my god! Yes. Yeah, and Chernobyl was fantastic, and 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 your and your point. It's where I feel like this is where things are evolving because the film, yeah. traditional two hour film, it doesn't have enough meat and time to really flesh out stuff. But the limited series, if you want to have a self-contained story, right? Yeah. Not a series like a television show. You can do it so much better with the limited series. And, and, and I, I don't think you would have the same effect, even though HBO was another one of these networks that did limited series. They usually had one or two a year. Um, now you're starting to see this more with, I, I really think it's an advent of streaming services back to your kind of um, that a lot of this is an effect of technology. I, I think you, you were bringing up special effects and how it's, it's less expensive. Now you would have to have that th- studio backing, right? You'd have really the millions do of dollars production things now, right. now, you know, it, the computing is, it's a lot, it's a lot more faster, available. Better. It's a lot yeah. faster, but I really think it's the streaming services and, I mean, if you look at shows like Breaking Bad, the reason that they became that show became famous was Netflix. Okay, yeah, it, it well, really, it really arguably was. it well, even before, it, even though it was on AMC, it it didn't get the following that people wanted, and and if you didn't have something like Netflix, people wouldn't have been able to catch up or binge on it by the time the final season was out. There is it was the huge. Netflix it was bump. Huge. They have yeah. a name for that now: the Netflix bump. The Netflix bump. <laughs> now it's the HBO Max, Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus bump. <laughs> well, ooh, speaking of Disney Plus, uh, thank yeah. you for the segue. We're going to talk about The Mandalorian next. Uh, another masterclass in, um, God, uh, storytelling, narrative crafting. And I, I would argue that this is the best use of the property since Return of the Jedi, for my for fuck's sakes. I'm actually going to give the floor to Buck. Buck is our uh, family star wars ambassador Thank so you. why why is the mandalorian uh now 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 here's the challenge you got to talk about the writing and you got to talk about the sh- shakespearean devices okay well thank you i appreciate uh, you giving the you know handing the reins over to the show to me uh about something i'm very passionate about He's, yes yes very yes passionate. uh in cinem- cinematic you know actual uh live action films yes this is the best use of the property. However, 
there have been other examples of the property that have been utilized much better than this. I think uh, from a video game standpoint, we can say uh, Knights of the too, Old Republic. Yes, but had don't go maybe too far. one of my favorite story arcs. Of this Star isn't Wars. a video game show. This time. I understand. We will have those, and then the Clone Wars series. I got to pull them um, back, everybody. The Clone Wars series, I think, was yes, fantastic. that is good. And that was animated, so they had they could do more more liberties with the with the narrative too. Yes, but but there's a reason why the Clone Wars series is great. That was the last thing that George Lucas touched. And Mm -hmm. the showrunner and kind of the director of that was a man named Dave Filoni. And Dave Filoni worked under uh, George Lucas. If you don't uh, know who he is, he basically directed the Clone Wars series. He's now kind of one of the the story show runners of, of Lucasfilm in general. Dave Filoni learned all of his kind of a lot of things from George Lucas, especially with the Star Wars lore. Uh, now, fast forward to a year ago when Disney Plus launched The Mandalorian came out. Its showrunners were John Favreau. Woo! Big time Hollywood director. Uh, a lot yeah. of Marvel. At, well, at this point, right? kicked off the Marvel cinematic with Iron Man. With Iron yeah. Man. And another gentleman by the name of Dave Filoni, who he is friends with. And Dave Filoni knows Star Wars. Now, in the Star Wars community, we all know that Dave Filoni is the spiritual successor to George Lucas. So you have two people. You have two people who are Star Wars fans and understand Star Wars that are doing Star Wars. So finally. that's the first thing. That's the first yeah. thing, finally. Okay. Just had to kind of lay that that groundwork down and it's 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 a you know i'm not a huge western guy but they use the western Ooh, narrative yeah. frame because lucas to was... amazing effect since this is a still a sci-fi show uh, but it's it, it, they they combine the sci-fi uh genre with a western like i've never seen before yeah no it's in that and that's from george lucas george lucas the star wars has some western elements to it not but as it's more eastern as the mandalorian yeah. yeah no but the mandalorian but that's kind of what boba fett was supposed to be if the original mandalorian well that we saw of a mandalorian um sure. he had spurs and stuff he was supposed to be kind of like a you know kind of like this knight slash cowboy kind of looking guy uh villain um that was kind of like what they kind of originally saw and some people might think i'm wrong on that um could be i don't know so don't kill me that's all i'm saying because i know the star wars fan base (laughs) and because Uh, they're a little aggressive to say we're aggressive um but Uh. anyway um back to the mandalorian storytelling how it does this um again it there's some episodic elements of it yes the b plot is used a lot with each of the episodes it's almost like i think you know using your example of a video game or the the uh it being well suited uh as a property in the video game format i think of each episode as like a side you know like i gotta do a side quest yeah you know for it, it, for the people have plot. called it a video game uh you're watching a live video game uh hmm. with the mandalorian actually people have said that that there that feels like there's some episodes that are side quests that you're doing amongst the main story arc but but basically on the storytelling side you know there is an over you're going back kind of to the basics with star wars you're going back to the the used space uh what they call it everything's kind of dirty and gritty and going back to its roots, these simple stories, these uh, kind of the seedy underbelly of the universe. That's what and, we needed, a simplified yeah. facts. And just yeah. to kind of simplify it, go back to basics. It doesn't have to be a thing. And build the characters. Build the characters. Yeah. And and that's the thing. And, and originally, you you don't know with Amando, especially from the first episode, he seems like he's kind of a bad guy. He's maybe doesn't have the best oh, intentions. Oh, yeah. That first season, his arc is pretty much perfect. Yeah. He's the, he's the rough, rogue character that isn't soft. 
And it yeah. takes that little baby Yoda to bring the soft side out of him. Yeah, that little cute baby Grogu. I don't know where I was going with this, but I'm going to tell you an example of what not to do. And tell and oh yeah Star Wars. That's how we. That's how we learn. So so they've done a great job of out. They've they've planned out the story um, before they've filmed all of it. You know, John Favreau, uh, Dave Filoni. They've they basically written out the whole story. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. Okay, go ahead. Okay, let's go back to twenty. I believe it's twenty twelve. Okay. Uh, George Lucas, he, he sells Lucasfilm to Disney and Kathleen Kennedy goes and get, becomes in charge and says, we're going to make a new star Wars trilogy. We're going to make some sequels. We're going to make some sequels. We're going to make some money. And they didn't do one important thing with the plot. They didn't outline it at all. They gave every single fucking movie. Up, they gave it to the director and said, "You do whatever you want with it. You got to have the writing there first. They had no outlines. They had no way of knowing. And you can tell. And it hit us hard in 2017. Yeah, with Snoke. You know, when you saw Snoke die, you're like, "Wait, I thought he was going to be the the main bad, the main baddie." Yeah. Well, and he was intent. And and you know, J.J. Abrams like that was that was supposed to be my guy. Okay, but J.J. <laughs> Abrams. Okay, I'm laying the blame on him a little bit too. He didn't oh, want to yeah. do all it's a team effort, but it really goes to the top, and it's Kathleen Kennedy, and this has nothing to do with her being a woman or anything. It, like some people are defending her online about it is it's poor management is what it is. And when you come up with good storytelling and what they're doing in the Mandalorian, and I think they've learned their lesson now, and I hope they do this. You have to have an outline. And you have to have one person kind of leading the thing, and you have to have a story group. And the best example of that, Marvel. Marvel has a story group. And you, you can hate Marvel movies as much as you want, but man, they don't have to retcon anything. The continuity is all, it's pretty much all there. You, you can have some examples of that, but that is a good way of doing things. You drop the ball with the last uh, three Star Wars movies. It ended the Luke Skywalker saga ended or the Skywalker saga ended with uh, Return of the Jedi, in my opinion. And that's <laughs> it. That's my favorite one. If anybody what's your favorite one? Yeah, it's my favorite one. If yeah, it's it's, it's it's uh it's Empire for me. But I would say live action wise, uh, the Mandalorian. You're you're doing it right. Some people hate it. Some people love it. Some but people I think, hate it. Oh, there's How? a lot of people that hate it. There's some people that oh. think it's it's too predictable and stuff like that. Look, as George Lucas said, this was <laughs> Star Wars was made for twelve year olds. It's a soap opera in space. It's a space soap opera, and it's supposed to give give kids hope. That's what it really is. <laughs> and it turned into something bigger. Yeah. I uh, before we go down this clear rabbit hole that we could, we could. Quite, do you want me to keep tangent. going? Because I can. <laughs> I know. I know. We could do a whole episode on fucking Mando. Uh, I do yeah. want to talk about uh, just to piggyback on what you said about who who did it right, and we need we need outlines. We need these things. Is this is where we used to see writing, especially from you know the novel standpoint and things like this uh, through either just one or two people. And now we have teams of writers. And I think that's important too to talk about is the fact that, you know, this is definitely not, you know, the sole genius. You know, some of the books are obviously that the source material is from, but just to make it work for film and for television, again, because there's so many moving parts. There's so many, there's actors, there's set design, yada, 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 the boring, the boring shit. I don't want to bore you with the tears. Um, we're not boring. It actually is fascinating, but we don't have to go into it. The point is, is that yes, it, it, we need the, 
the structure of how to make it come alive has changed as well. And we see that with the team of writers or, you know, and usually they, they figure out their outline and then each person is usually tasked with making one episode, uh, writing it out. And then obviously that's handed to the directors and producers and, 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 and it trickles down, um, until they, they create it. And, uh, I, and this is where I want to move on to the, the last thing on the on the docket, and that is the whole reason I actually got to started talking about this and thought this would be a good subject for a show is is Ozark. I know there's a lot of other good examples, and feel free to tweet at us about it or whatever, or bitch to your friends about how we didn't we forgot to mention something. Uh, however you want to do it, uh, but Ozark is a good example of uh, using all of these Shakespearean devices, and uh, it's clear that I'm not. I actually don't think they they knew how they were going to end it i think there is and we got to talk about we haven't talked about this in writing is there's a lot of planters versus plotters now the planter is someone that plants a bunch of characters and they don't really know what's where it's going to go uh and then the plotters are people that focus on the plot and character secondary and then there's someone like i would i would like to be of the camp of the hybrid a, a, a planning plotter or a plotter uh planter uh, that was a mouthful. And we see that to amazing effect, I think, in Ozark, uh, more on the planning side. And uh, all of these Shakespearean devices to really bring it around circle. And and what T-Buck was saying at the beginning, endless antiheroes, right? We're, we're, um, that's, a, that's a new thing we're seeing in modern writing is, is rooting for the antihero and not knowing exactly how to feel about the characters. And it, and, it, and it creates that, uh, you know, artistic stint of, of thinking about ourselves again. That's what we talk about in a lot of these episodes is how it affects us, the viewers. Um, and um, Buck, do you have anything to say here before we uh, start to wrap things up? Outline your story. <laughs> stop ruining. I think he's still on. I think he's still on Star Wars, guys. He's still on. Star, he's, stop he, he got ruining mad. my childhood. He like, got mad on the Star Wars take, subject. Take things. Make them good. <laughs> make money off of them. It's not that hard. Just do your damn work and due diligence. <laughs> do your Don't damn give, job. You had one job. You had one job, and it wasn't. It's not that hard. It really isn't. You just had to do some extra work, okay? If you <laughs> had to push it out in another year, the movie, it's fine, okay? Yeah, that's who, true. Who cares about, okay, yeah, the, the, the mouse ears. Get it right, damn it. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and pull it back, or he's gonna get even more mad over here. I wanted to talk about some honorable mentions. Feel free to chime in about honorable mentions, Buck. Uh, is that uh, House of Cards and Orange is the New Black? You know, Orange is the New Black was the very first thing that actually created binging, uh, not necessarily mm, new uh, writing not, structures, no. but more delivery structures. Yeah, I would say delivery, but maybe not. I, yeah, I, I some some honorable mentions for me. I, I would say Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> okay, <laughs> depends on the season um yeah you said you said house of cards orange is the new black you, you know you could probably throw out stranger things to an extent there yeah um, yeah somewhat. They're, not re- they're definitely not recreating the wheel or anything like that but no. uh they're they're, um, they're, but yeah. I, they're the show is good i like stranger things but they're pulling more on uh, a little bit more nostalgia it's nostalgia porn it's the yeah. it's the it's the member berries <laughs> from soft park member d's member Remember when the Millennium Falcon went through the asteroid field? Yeah, that I have a little writing joke for for that. What do you call a stereotype that sells nostalgia? Ah, <laughs> uh, but oh, but it works. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I still like them too. I, I think stereotypes can can be uh, repackaged. 
you know, you got you got to be smart with your. Again, this is where smart writing comes in. You can be smart with it, and I think yeah, we we miss Mad Men. I thought Mad Men. Oh, Mad Men, yeah, Mad Men's up there. Yeah, that's on the list. Uh, so let's let's, uh, let's pull. There's others. Yeah, tell us, tell us. You know, tweet at us uh, when we when we promote this. You know, put it in the comments. All that stupid shit. Uh, we have to say that, or people will will shoot us. Um, and um, so let's bring it around circle. What what does the future hold? I think the future is bright with television and and story. It definitely to your point, it definitely makes us. I feel like I'm watching less and less movies. Yeah. Now more than ever. Yeah. I still think there is that place for that two hour storytelling spectacle. Yeah. The format is will still stay. It will still be around. But I think if you're I think we're starting to become accustomed to that long format and really character uh, driven stories, which I think is fantastic. It does have its place. And I think you're going to start seeing maybe some different types of I don't know. They're just there. I see the mediums diverging a lot more than coming together um, a little bit. So I think it's a good thing, though. I think we need that. They have their own place. You you put it you put it well. It's it's uh, it is bright. I, I, there, there's a lot of smart people out there, and more importantly, there's a lot of creative people out there, and they're gonna think of something. I, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I thought for a long time that there couldn't really be a better version of this, and I feel like Game of Thrones, you know, in that first season, really did it for me. It's like, oh man, they're they're killing our favorite characters off left and right. You know, so there's gonna be something that we're not even thinking about. You know, mark my words, there's gonna be something something on the table that we're not even considering and they're going to be like oh well shit man we should do it this way and in the writing and uh and then yeah before you know it we'll have a completely new evolution and maybe even a fourth (laughs) golden age of television with that thank you guys so much for listening but before we go of course we got a little extra for you got what we call the gym of the week the gym of the week is essentially something we want to talk about in our show here but doesn't have a perfect place within the format of the main scheme of the show so we're going to talk about it here in the outro i'm gonna let you go first go ahead buck what what was your gem um well my gem is also a television show um related to time travel and is made it was made in canada but it's supposed to take place in the u.s but my my show is called travelers and it actually only lasted three seasons on um, Netflix. The base premise, I, I'm not going to give too much away, uh, but um, why I was saying it was made in Canada is because I'm starting to know a lot of these shows that are made in Canada. They all have like the same actors, the Canadian actors. Mm. So I'm starting to pick them out. Um, but yeah, it's based, It's supposed to, I think, take place in the Pacific Northwest of the U.S., uh, right out, around Seattle area. But um, premise is, is that uh, you have these people coming from the future um, hmm. to help save the world um, from the past. They're called travelers. And unlike uh, kind of traditional uh, time travel cinema, instead of them showing up from the future, they're actually transferring their consciousness into people that are existing in the past. Hmm. Um, and they do it in an interesting way. And it's relevant. Shit, shit's got complicated just in the just yep, in the synopsis. It's, it's relevant to our times, and I, that's all. <laughs> I I don't want to give it away, but it has to do with social media and phones. I'll just put it that interesting. way. Interesting, interesting. Well, mine is uh, yeah, more of a question because as I was doing research for this, of course. Uh, since we're using television and the golden age of television as the main framing device for the whole show, started to look at, you know, of course, there's lists for fucking everything. I, I started to look at what people consider the greatest screenplays of all time. And, uh, you know, the first one is usually Casablanca and those kind of shows. And I wanted to I wanted to see what you considered the greatest screenplay, in your opinion, of all time, Mr. T-Buck. 
<sighs> Greatest screenplay of all time. The correct answer is Back to the Future. Well, a lot of people, yeah, I a lot of people it's say arguably it's the greatest screenplay ever. But I did want to hear your opinion on it. No, I actually have heard that a lot of film schools teach that as like being exactly, yeah, the perfect screen. Like that's a model play. for. I was trying to writing. think of this. Um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, great films out there. I I'm gonna go back to one of them that I absolutely love, and that's um, it's Goodfellas. I oh, Goodfellas. Oh, it's so that's like a gangster film. Yeah, that's like a warm blanket movie for me. And I know that sounds weird, but like that and Casino, I have to watch them back and forth or back to back. They're companion films. Um, and, and that uh, I kind of have Back to the Future. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's, oh yeah. It's love Back to the Future. It's, it's, it's I favorite. actually just had a spur of the moment, Jim, hit me when I was because I, I mentioned this particular writer's technique and style, but I really think he should be the gem of the week for me, and that is Aaron Sorkin. So Aaron Sorkin is the writer behind a lot of a lot of uh, David Fincher's films, and uh, uh, T-Book looks like he has a lot to say about him. You can tell me if you want. <laughs> I'm messing with you. I I think he's good, but. There's his latest stuff I, I haven't been too thrilled with, but well, I'm giving yeah, you a hard I would say I anything, giving you a hard time. Okay, I think anything with David Fincher is oh, yes. just a jackpot, like yeah. home run kind of stuff. So there you have it. Uh, thanks, thank you guys so much for listening. As always, you can follow us at at underscore novo underscore day and at novo day media, and of course you can check out some of our stuff at novodayproductions.com. There you'll find shows like uh, the audiobook The Entropy Sessions. You can also find the book version of The Entropy Sessions on our website, as well as Post Meridium and Adulteration. And until next time, guys, just yeah, be good to each other. And as always, good luck and Godspeed. We love you. Art of the Beholder is brought to you by Novo Day Productions. Created and hosted by Novo Day and the Novo Day Collective. Facebook.com slash Novo Day Media. At Novo Day Media on Twitter and Instagram. Music by A Company. Facebook.com slash Aco Music 123. Aco on Spotify. Logo designed by Tom Justice, J-E-S-T-U-S, of thejusticecompany.com. And executively produced by Clayton Anderson. All rights reserved. <sighs> You're, you're winding me up right now. <laughs>